Hey guys, it's Liz Kelly. Right in time for the holiday season, The Ringer's merch store has tons of new stuff. And right now, almost everything on the site is 20% off, including your favorites like Binge Mode and Ringer NBA. And for the first time, we are introducing brand new merch for NBA Desktop, Shea Serrano's Villains, and Bill's Parent Corner. This Black Friday Cyber Monday sale lasts until Monday, November 26th. You can check it out on theringer.com slash shop. I'm Justin Charity. And I'm Kate Nibbs. Welcome to Damage Control on the Channel 33 Network, a podcast where we unpack what upsets, excites, and divides us in popular culture. Okay, let's get started. Facebook is dealing with what feels like its millionth scandal of the year after the New York Times published a disturbing report about the company's tactics. Facebook getting exposed for bad practices is nothing new, but this time there's more attention to be paid to COO Sheryl Sandberg's role within the company. But first, let's talk about Jeff Bezos and Amazon. The trillion-dollar web retailer based in Seattle spent more than a year shopping for a second headquarters in North America. In the process, they launched what Ringer writer Alyssa Bresnik called the National Thirst Wars. Basically, cities all across the country submitted lengthy, thirsty proposals to Amazon trying to get them to select their city for their new corporate headquarters. New York's governor, Andrew Cuomo, even said he'd change his name to Amazon Cuomo if New York was selected. Well, congratulations, Governor Cuomo. New York was selected along with Northern Virginia, Queens, baby. And we're going to talk about the political backlash. I have some other names I would like to call Andrew Cuomo. (laughs) Andrew Rivers Cuomo. We're going to talk about the political backlash to Cuomo, New York Mayor Bill de Blasio, and Amazon. On this More like build up Zio. <laughs> By the way, only New Yorkers could complain about getting 25,000 new jobs. All the cities who lost out must be like, shut up, you whiny bitches. <laughs> new York basically won the lottery and we're like, oh, but the subways might be slightly more crowded. Meanwhile, people in West Virginia are like, well, back to the mines. Kate, Amazon is a company so big that it apparently needs like three different North American headquarters. I don't really get it. Basically, they've spent more than a year. I want to say since September 2017, they spent scouting the country for a new corporate headquarters apart from its main Seattle headquarters. They were informally referring to the second headquarters as HQ2. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mentioned that just because that's sort of how it's colloquially become known in like media and news reports as the mythical HQ2. So Amazon spends more than a year scouting suitable locations for HQ2. Now by suitable, I don't just mean like geographically ideal. I don't just mean they're looking for like a city with a port or something. What they really seem to be looking for were mayors and chambers of commerce and state governments all across the country to sort of compete with each other to offer Amazon the best tax incentives and other political advantages for moving to their city. And because Amazon's search for HU2 is so public and so protracted and so explicitly competitive, 
these states basically tripped over themselves to give Amazon the best possible deal to move to their cities, arguably at the expense of their own constituents. So last week, Amazon finally settles on two locations for HQ2. I guess that means HQ2 and HQ3, but Amazon finally makes a choice. They pick two cities. They pick New York, so they pick Long Island City, which is in Queens, and they pick Crystal City in Northern Virginia. There are people who are happy, right, that Amazon is bringing jobs to their region. That's sort of how you see a lot of media and a lot of politicians talk about this is we're happy to have Amazon bring jobs to our part of the country both the like, notoriously depressed region of New York what, City, right? <laughs> Washington D.C. Right. I think the idea too is that it's a mix of blue collar jobs and white collar jobs. Mm-hmm. But then there are people who are frustrated to see Amazon in, in again in this very public, very dramatic, almost like a season of television like way. Amazon steamrolling their elected representatives, dodging taxes, <laughs> and potentially disrupting their neighborhoods. And in fact, like, we were getting ready to come into the studio. I saw this Wall Street Journal report come out. It's basically a story about Amazon employees, like, currently in Seattle, most of them, Mm. rushing to buy condos in Long Island City, Queens, now that the Amazon's decision is public. I'll read a little bit. It says, condo sales in Long Island City are suddenly soaring thanks to Amazon's decision to open a headquarters in Queens. One local brokerage firm reported it sold nearly 150 units over four days last week, about 15 times its usual volume. Several Amazon workers expressed interest in studios and one-bedroom units generally priced below $1 million in Long Island City. Some were also looking at less expensive, low-rise neighborhoods, including Astoria in Queens and Greenpoint in Brooklyn. I should say I used to live in Greenpoint. I'm glad I don't live in any of those neighborhoods right now. Yeah, I think the subtext <laughs> here is the the real estate market in yeah. the relevant neighborhoods in New York is about to get a lot more competitive. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's funny, like when Amazon first announced the decision to move to Long Island City and Northern Virginia, I remember specifically you would see like the first wave of news reports about Bill de Blasio, the mayor of New York, mm-hmm. and Andrew Cuomo, the governor of New York, working together. Two, two politicians That's so who weird. hate each other. Yeah they, yeah, they have like a very long-standing public feud. Yeah, they hate each other. But, they, you know, there was a New York Times story about how Cuomo and de Blasio actually worked really closely together and got along decently well mm-hmm. when it came to lobbying Amazon to come to New York. And there's one tidbit in the New York Times story where... They note that de Blasio and Cuomo agreed to – they basically agreed to structure their their agreements with Amazon in a way mm-hmm. that make the land permits in question be subject to state approval as opposed to local approval because apparently that gives – like Cuomo has more authority. He's sort of a more singular authority to let Amazon do what it wants than de Blasio would have if it were a New York City matter, mm-hmm. right? But this is all to say that, like, Cuomo and de Blasio seem very proud of what they've accomplished. Mm-hmm. And they don't really – nothing about how they've conducted themselves in the immediate wake of the announcement suggests to me that they were ready for any sort of political backlash from their constituents about Amazon rushing into New York 
It's really strange to me that they didn't think people would at least have reservations about it, you know, because I've really been reading more about Amazon coming to New York just because I live here. Um, But from what I've, I've read, it seems like it's definitely going to be a mixed bag at best. And the fact that they gave them, wasn't it like 3.1 billion in incentives? Yes. And I, I read that like the average job that would come would be $150,000 salary. That's great. But then it will cost taxpayers approximately 48000 to subsidize those jobs. That's not great. It's weird that they didn't foresee the anger at the allocation of taxpayer dollars. If Amazon had not done this in this way and pitted cities against each other and turned it into this really disturbing competition to who can appease the bald monopolist the best. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And, and if Amazon had just been like, Oh, we're opening up a, or an office in New York, there would be way, there would be way less backlash um, because like there's already been huge expansions of the tech sector here. Google has really beefed up its New York presence. There is already sort of a consolidation of tech powers going on in the city. And it's just the way that this happened really drew attention to like how much de Blasio and Cuomo were, were willing to give this major corporation to come into the city. If this was just a case of Amazon moving to New York, we wouldn't even be discussing it because it probably wouldn't even really make headlines it's just like the way it all unfolded ended up really exposing the thirst for amazon and and what they're willing to prioritize like with the mta in the state that it is in and affordable housing in the state that it is in it's really hard as someone who lives in this city to be anything remotely resembling happy about giving that much money to a company that fucking doesn't need it Right. <laughs> like, and I'm sure that there will be economic benefits to come to New York. How those are dispensed among the population seems, it seems to me like New York is getting fleeced by Amazon. I get why Amazon did it. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> right. That's the thing. If you're trying to like rank, if you're trying to do the like Axios thing and be like mm-hmm. winners and losers, like Amazon well, then, won. Let's, let's, yeah. like, to be clear, the main winner in all of this is Amazon, is Jeff Bezos. Yeah. It's far less clear, like, how the average income citizen of New York City or Northern Virginia mm-hmm. um, benefits in all this relative to Amazon. I read a really interesting interview in New York Magazine with the New York City development czar, Alicia Glenn. And she sort of was answering questions in detail about how they thought that it will positively benefit New Yorkers and stuff like that. It's kind of weird that they didn't just come out with that sort of defense right away, though, and they had to sort of wait for reporters to be like, um, hey, actually, everyone is freaking out about this. Not happy. What's up? And her answers, I mean, they're at least pretty detailed, and reading the piece gave me a better understanding of, like, why they might think that it would be good for New York. But it wasn't very convincing. Uh, Noah Colwyn, the guy who interviewed her, did a really good job of just sort of pressing back and stuff. Um, I don't know. Maybe it's just they're doing this sort of Robert Moses thing where they're like, let's just develop no matter how many protests are held because this fits in with our grand vision of the city. 
and they're like looking at the long term like grandeur of the city instead of the actual people who live here now who will be kind of screwed over by the development. Right. And it's just really demoralizing that like de Blasio sort of ran as like this progressive and this has sort of really clarified how much he isn't that. Well, yeah, it's it's weird to think of the rare the rare success of Cuomo de Blasio camaraderie in this mm-hmm. instance because if you're comparing Cuomo, if you're comparing the governor and the mayor, right? Like they're progressives who aren't happy with either of them, mm-hmm. but progressives are never really happy with Andrew <laughs> Cuomo. Where, or just in general. And, and it's sort of like, it, that's a more established hostile relationship, mm-hmm. like progressives versus Andrew Cuomo. Whereas de Blasio kind of keeps, there's sort of more of a Charlie Brown, Lucy and the football mm-hmm. thing there, where it's like, you, you want to think that, He's at least flattered by comparison to Andrew Cuomo, but then this happens. <laughs> and then it just becomes that much more difficult to distinguish mm-hmm. the ways in which those two men are disappointing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I'm, I'm curious about mm-hmm. why, why did this become, why did Amazon look at, like, at face value, it's a boring question, right? Like, of we need to find a second headquarters. Mm-hmm. That is like the most boring shit imaginable. Why did it become this weird season of reality television? Like, I, I do not understand why Amazon... I don't think it's boring. It's about power. No, it, it, no, no, no. So I, yeah. I should clarify. I just mean that, like, normally... Like, I okay, so for instance, when I used to work in public relations, mm-hmm. like, years ago, I worked, like, with a couple of aerospace and defense companies, right? And, like, that's... Like, working in aerospace and defense is a good way to look at, like, how... Decisions about where headquarters go and where factories go is often about, like, putting down a chip in a particular congressional district Mm -hmm. or having enough political influence in a particular state so that certain votes in Congress can go the way that you need them to go. Right? But a lot of that stuff, the way that stuff happens a lot of the time is way more backdoor, way more like, we don't got to put all this out there that this is how we make these decisions. So it just struck me throughout this entire process that Amazon was like, no, let's lean into this. Like, we're basically going to spend a year ensuring that media will draw attention to the fact that we are we are doing this road trip around America where we basically make politicians in every state humiliate themselves so that we'll give them some jobs. Why did it become the process that it became, the sort of roadshow that it became? I don't know, but I do think that Amazon, you might say, primed America. I hate you. <laughs> you're you're, you're canceled. Um, it has sort of really emerged as it's like an e-commerce giant. It's this incredibly large corporation that everybody knows about like do you know one person in america who doesn't like have a familiarity with amazon i just think that this whole thing is sort of indicative that we're living in like a golden age of monopoly part two and this because this is not the way as you were saying like normal companies behave but amazon can behave this way because it is just so big and powerful I had never seen a corporate spectacle like this. I really mm-hmm. had not. I had not seen a spectacle where it's like a big company that is really just at all times begging for more like 
political and regulatory scrutiny mm -hmm. being like, yeah, we're, we're going to see which political leadership in the United States is willing to debase themselves for the largest amount of money. I think that they just are gambling on people not caring that much. And like they're gambling that the, the number of constituents who are looking at this as an opportunity versus the number of constituents that are looking at this as a threat to uh, the city's ecosystem's well-being, like that the people who see this as a, as a good thing will outnumber the people who see it as a bad thing. And they probably do. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's almost like the, the dynamic of gentrification debates, right? It's mm -hmm. like in New York, gentrification is this very um, prominent. It's like this very hot and prominent concern. Mm -hmm. And yet it's not like there is a viable political faction in New York that like seems to have the power to stop a lot of yeah. the, you know what I mean? It, it, I think you're right. It's like people are super mad, but also people are relatively powerless. Mm -hmm. And by relatively powerless, I mean powerless relative to Amazon. <laughs> yeah. And to like Cuomo and the people making these deals are the people who are already in power. Let's talk about Facebook, another massive tech company making some controversial choices as well. I think you have to remember that in addition to leading the policy and comm side of the business, Sheryl Sandberg is the entire business for Facebook, right? She leads all revenue. Uh, she reads all partnerships. And so I think at this point, the damage is kind of done. Uh, Facebook does need to inflict a little bit more damage by uh, removing its second most important executive at, at a crucial time. And I think that these conversations relate to each other in maybe not the most obvious way. But so uh, last week, the New York Times released a report about the tactics Facebook used to deny and discredit its critics. And I mean, for me and many, I don't know, anyone who's really following Facebook, like the revelation that Facebook engages in this type of activity is not very surprising. What was notable about this piece and what I think will have lingering effects is that Sheryl Sandberg was sort of the main villain of the piece. And she's sort of, emerged as the person who sort of shouldered the blame for a lot of bad decisions Facebook was making. That should not be surprising because Sheryl Sandberg has been Facebook's COO since 2008. She's been on its board of directors since 2012. She's always been seen as like the adult in the room, making sure Mark Zuckerberg doesn't get any weirder. And she's really been guiding Facebook's business model since it had a business model. Um, like she's deserved scrutiny for a long time. But this is the first time she's sort of actually getting it. Now there are pieces like Vanity Fair's What Sheryl Sandberg's Facebook Disaster Means for Women. And there are people calling for her resignation. This is the most scrutiny Sandberg has ever been under. And I want to sort of talk about her evolution from a like corporate feminist icon until now where her job actually seems like it might be in jeopardy for the first time ever. Um, did you read lean in? I didn't, <laughs> I didn't read lean in. I'm sorry. That's okay. <laughs> I like skimmed it when it came out because I thought I was going to write a blog post about it or something. And I didn't. 
what like what did you make of Sandberg as like a sort of feminist icon? Well, I I mean, you set it up as her transformation from feminist icon to mm-hmm. villain of mm-hmm. this latest Facebook reporting. But to me, the interesting thing is that even in the earlier feminist icon, like corporate, I should say white yeah. corporate feminist icon phase, there was very immediately this counter chorus of mm-hmm. people being like, what is this lean in bullshit? Like, this is a weird <laughs> way to brand feminism as like white collar lifestyle, like coffee table book nonsense, as mm-hmm. opposed to a genuinely subversive political thought. Right. And so the fact that even during the more favorable phase of Sheryl Sandberg, mm-hmm. like that thinking and that writing and that critique of Sheryl Sandberg informed my thinking about her even then. Oh. The skepticism about her. <laughs> I, I mean, I never I never leaned in. And I was always very confused by how how well that did. But looking back Well, why now, were you surprised? I'm actually I'm curious about this. Why were you surprised? Because it just seemed so transparently self serving and not helpful to women to give them tips in this very narrow way about how to succeed in corporate America. Um, and like the, the, the idea that that would actually lift up females was ridiculous to me from the start. But I do think that at the time that it came out, like she wrote that book at the perfect moment because it was still, she was like still riding this wave of like techno utopianism. And she had sort of, She's also like so much more personable and charming and well spoken than Zuckerberg. Yeah. Um, or she- most of the other tech, <laughs> pe- major tech people. <laughs> yeah. I kind of get why people were, were hungry for someone like her to, to emerge in the culture. She's almost like the Jack Kennedy of Silicon Valley. Like I'm just saying, like relative to Mark Zuckerberg, mm-hmm. or you're like Elon Musk, you're Peter Thiel. Like mm-hmm. she. She, yeah, she definitely has that sort of power to be like, I'm personable and like I can speak in ways that make sense to an average person who is not like a coder. whose brain isn't shattered by Reddit. <laughs> you know? <laughs> um Yeah, and I think also she like her husband died, which is really horrible, and I feel bad for her and it's sad. And she was able to communicate her grief in a way that really humanized her. And I think sort of ended up like blunting criticism of her because that sort of happened after the lean in backlash. And then, you know, people aren't going to jump to criticize a woman who just suffered a great personal tragedy. And then, um, I specifically remember reading at the time, reading her, like occasionally she would write Facebook posts mm-hmm. about her yeah, I remember. husband and I remember reading I think those. I cried because I just yeah. felt so terrible for her. Yeah. She's a very effective communicator. And yeah, so she and also I should say, like, I remember one time when I was um still blogging for Gizmodo, I wrote something about her. I don't even think it was that negative, but the Facebook comms team is like was very, very protective of her. I think they did it was a priority for Facebook to make sure her reputation stayed unblemished. But why her specifically? Because she was like the friendly face of Facebook, the friendly female, right. like sympathetic, smart girl boss. Remember when she had Same. that ban bossy campaign? 
Oh, band. Oh, right. Yeah. She I did that. that. Yeah. Right. 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 Band oh, God. Um, and I mean, anyone looking critically at Facebook and, and tracing the moves that it has made as a business would have to come to the conclusion that Sheryl Sandberg was not to be trusted. But for like a casual, just Facebook user, someone who's like not following the company's machinations, mm-hmm. she seems like a decent person. Yeah. Um, and I think that that now that's sort of exploded. <laughs> and I, I've been wondering, I've sort of been trying to figure out what would happen if she resigned? Like, I don't, I don't know. Yeah, we should explain that. So yeah. talk a little bit about the New York Times report that mm-hmm. sort of, like what specifically, you, you've hinted that she's mm-hmm. the villain of this mm-hmm. New York Times piece, but like like you just sort of gestured at, there mm-hmm. are calls at this point for her to resign. Mm-hmm. What in the report has brought people to that, I think, dramatic point with Sheryl Sandberg? So she was... It, they sort of highlighted that she had made the decision to hire Joel Kaplan as the VP of corporate public policy. And he's like a pretty well, well-known Republican. He, uh, you know, sat in the Kavanaugh hearing supporting Kavanaugh. Facebook said it was on his personal time. So it was okay. Um, and the piece sort of emphasizes that Sandberg had a role in like discouraging Facebook from investigating Russian interference and, you know, it talks about how she had a role in hiring a public relations firm called Definers to um, sort of try to convince reporters to talk about how Facebook critics were funded by George Soros. Um, there, by the way, there was like a great anecdote on Twitter. Mm-hmm. I remember a few days ago where um, after this New York Times story broke, <laughs> um a daily caller writer started tweeting. He's like, yeah, I remember this. I remember somebody wanted us to write about George Soros. And I thought the angle didn't make sense. And this is a daily caller. Yeah. It's really, <laughs> it's really bad when the yeah. daily caller people aren't taking it. He didn't want to write this like, yeah, hit piece about George Soros. That's funny. So, and also I should say like Sandberg first started sort of getting scrutinized back when like the Cambridge Analytica scandal happened. So she she has been sort of her reputation's been in jeopardy for longer than just this, but this sort of seems like a tipping point. And I should say like Mark Zuckerberg is just as culpable as her. Well, I mean, he's more, more I mean, so. Just in he's the, the fucking yeah, the founder and CEO. Yeah, like yeah. I don't want to I don't want to make it seem like I'm blaming Sheryl Sandberg and letting Mark Zuckerberg off the hook. I think he's a terrible, terrible person and not even a good CEO anymore. And, uh, but he's never gonna, he has this sort of huge controlling stake in Facebook where it would be very difficult to remove him from his position. Um, so even though he is definitely like the Travis Kalanick of the situation, <laughs> he he's not going to get Kalanicked because right. of his his right. controlling stake. Right. You would have to have the Grand Marshal of the Supreme Court yeah. uh, with the writ of habeas corpus come down to <laughs> arrest Mark Zuckerberg. And yeah. <laughs> and so sure, uh, anyway, so I just wanted to emphasize that like 
I, I'm not saying that Mark Zuckerberg should be let off the hook in any way. I'm just saying that Sheryl Sandberg should be on the hook. Um, but I guess from like, from just a person who lives in the world and you know, it's a world that Facebook shapes and I don't know if like removing Sheryl Sandberg would actually make the company less evil. You mentioned Kaplan. Mm-hmm. So sure. Like technically Joel Kaplan is the, he's, he's Facebook's chief lobbyist, right? Like he's, he is the global head of public affairs for Facebook. And we should say global head of public affairs for Facebook means global head of public affairs for a company that has a lot of public affairs problems throughout the entire planet Earth. Mm-hmm. Right? But um, given Sheryl Sandberg's profile mm-hmm. in Washington, I've always thought of her and her profile just in political circles. Mm-hmm. I've always thought of Sheryl Sandberg as the chief political figurehead Mm -hmm. for Facebook. And if you just think about how the past three years of Facebook have been them having just like a mortifying series of just like political disaster after political disaster, Mm -hmm. it's weird to me that it seems like a good chunk of Facebook critics now, Mm -hmm. it only occurred to them in the past like two weeks to be like, maybe Sheryl Sandberg is that like she's bit she is the she is the most powerful political figurehead at facebook for several years Mm -hmm. and so it just strikes me as weird that it took this particular story for people to be like maybe we should criticize sheryl sandberg in these moments where we're also criticizing zuckerberg i think this was the tipping point it wasn't just yeah yeah Yeah. there's definitely been a sheryl sandberg descent it Mm -hmm. just seemed like if anything it, it always until now it had always seemed like this very frustratingly marginalized, like repressed sort of, oh, these are the haters. This is the haters corner. You know what I mean? Um, So I get that now is the tipping point, but it just seemed like before we got to the tipping point, it was actually kind of, uh, it it seemed a little bit taboo to like think of Sheryl Sandberg in critical ways. Yeah, because she did such a good job of branding herself. Yeah. It's like, yeah, you know, but why did she brand herself? Like that's the other weird she's thing. Smart. She no, she's smart. She's yeah. totally smart. But, but bear with me here. So I guess mm-hmm. what I mean is that like she, COO Facebook, totally get it. But her branding is not just smart. It's strange in a way. She has this brand that feels like it's cultivated specifically to separate her from even the idea of Facebook. If that makes sense, mm-hmm. and that's what strikes me as strange. This isn't just like. You know, this is some person who's not the CEO who's like tending to their own course. It's like Sheryl Sandberg is almost like just a separate LLC <laughs> that has nothing to do I'm with sure Facebook. There is a separate LLC. I mean, yeah. there is. Yeah. But you know what I mean? It's like she almost brands herself in a way that is like, I have nothing to do with Facebook. <laughs> Don't even think of, of of Facebook when you think of me. And that's weird for somebody who is a longtime <laughs> senior employee of Facebook. Maybe she knew this day would come. Uh, Possibly. But so what I wanted to say to sort of connect this back to our conversation about Amazon is that I don't really even know if I care that much whether Sheryl Sandberg resigns or not. Yeah, for sure. Because it's not going to change the fact that Facebook is fundamentally damaging to society 
And it's just sort of another reminder that the company is needs to be regulated and it's too fucking big. I I would say I'll, I'm going to here's here's a take. Let's mm-hmm. just I'll speak. I'll say it in the simplest possible terms and I want to try to hack this out. Do you want Facebook to get even bigger? Is this what no, 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 no. <laughs> what I would say is, would you say that Facebook is a bad product? Um, Facebook, the website? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes. Okay. Well, well, first of all, why? Like, why is Facebook a bad product? Because I think it has really distorted the information ecosystem and it makes people less aware of what's going on in the world. Okay. Would you say at this point, again, it's like we focused on that specific, mm-hmm. that nature and those elements of Facebook for several, like a few consecutive years now. Yeah. Do you think it's possible at this stage, regardless of whether Sheryl Sandberg resigns, like just don't even think about the executive leadership. Think about the product. Mm-hmm. Is it possible to redeem Facebook as a product and make it like at the very least a non like cataclysmically like um, I think there's a way to make it not such a catastrophe nightmare, which is to reduce its scope and power. Okay. I don't think it's redeemable. As a product. Yeah. Well, I mean, the the general idea of a f- news feed is ne- – there's nothing inherently wrong with that. I love news feeds. So, fuck, <laughs> love the news. I love the news. Kate I like to be on informed. The, on the beat. It's – yeah. So, like, that – Keep keeping in touch with friends. I should say, I was like an early Facebook adopter, and I loved it so much in college. Like I, I was a like diehard Facebook fan what for are years. You doing on Facebook, talking to my friends, writing weird shit on their walls. It was it was like the wild west of Facebook. But so, I think that the basic, the core idea of the product, there's nothing wrong with it. It's just the way that they've set it up to privilege what gets the most attention, what they can put the most most ads on has like caused this great distortion in how people get their information, how the media works. That is very bad for society. Um, so I guess maybe there is a way to redeem it if they fundamentally change it and they, they're not going to, to though. Because, yeah, I was going to yeah. say, is there a way to, to use the phrase you said a second ago? Is mm-hmm. there a way to fundamentally change it toward what you're talking about mm-hmm. without basically deliberately reducing its scale and influence? No. Just in general. No. Right. So that's the problem. And that's the thing that makes me think I, too, don't really care whether Sheryl Sandberg resigns or not. Because mm-hmm. it's just like either way, this company is sort of – this company has placed its bet on a product that – has a an outsized toxic influence on mass media and that the the ways that you would go about solving that don't even necessarily have to do with like I mean they have a lot to do with executive leadership but there's very little reason to believe that even the most virtu- virtuous possible alternative to Sheryl Sandberg is going to make the sort of decisions that will lead Facebook to be yeah. a better actor. Yeah, and with I mean with Facebook and with Amazon like I don't think we're ever going to fix them. I just want them to be less bad. At don't this you think point. It's, I do think it's got to be easier to fix Amazon than Facebook. I think both would require like radical government intervention. But you know what I mean? It's like I, I can at least wrap my head around the regulations at various levels of government. Mm-hmm. 
that could get you to a place where Amazon pays people the amount of money we want them to pay people mm-hmm. and isn't just a flagrantly tax-dodging tax monopoly. Mm-hmm. And that company could still be useful to, like, millions of Americans and still exist. Mm-hmm. In a way that Facebook is just like, no, there's something it, – it almost seems like the well is poisoned in the case of Facebook. And it's just like the core product is a thing that, like, you maybe just have to throw that baby out with the bathwater. Because you maybe just can't make it make – you can't go back in time and make that product make sense again and just be about, we're just writing on yeah. walls. <laughs> you can't do that. I loved it when it was like that. Um yeah, I, I like can't quit Facebook. This is, I'm a hypocrite. I genuinely find it useful for like getting, finding people to talk to for stories and also just staying in touch with friends and family. Um, but I really, really feel like I should. And so I've been trying to experiment with other social networks. Oh, like what? Oh, my God. Okay. Do you know who Romany Malko is? The actor? He was on Weeds. He's in The 40-Year-Old Virgin. He's just like a C-list actor who started his own social network. And it's very funny. He personally wrote on my wall. There's like 600 people in it. And maybe we should just all join Romany Malko's social network is what I'm saying. How old is Romany Malko? 50. Okay, good. So you don't have to go through the whole Zuckerberg college yeah. dorm trying to get girls. He's an adult. Back. Okay, there we go. All right. <laughs> so, I, am, I can get it. So in. my suggestion is we all join Romany Malko's social network. Okay. Which is called lifemanagementtribe.com. <laughs> I am less behind that. I am not getting paid for this. Oh, I just, my God. I want there to be another option. Are you the CEO of? <laughs> no, I'm, I'm not affiliated with this in any way. Okay. I just want there to be another option oh, besides God. Facebook. And why not this? And the alternative to Amazon Prime is what? Going to the store. Okay, that's true. <laughs> I guess so. Please consult the minimum wage in your state. Yes. All right, I'm Justin Charity. I'm Kate Nibbs. Thanks for listening. Happy Thanksgiving. We'll be back in two weeks.